This week on Geek Explained, when the Batman is away, the Batfam will play. To celebrate the release of the Gotham Knights video game, we're dedicating each week of October to the Defenders of Gotham City. This week, we're kicking the festivities off by spotlighting the Defender of Bloodhaven and the leader of the Bat family himself, Nightwing. Welcome to Geektober Gotham Knights. Welcome back to Geek Explained. I'm your host, Eric Azana, and today's episode is the first installment of Geektober Gotham Nights. We've been doing Geektobers for the last couple years in the month of October, but this year's a little special because at the end of this month, the Gotham Nights video game is going to be releasing, and I am super hyped for it. I want to get this out of the way just in case you're wondering. No, this is not any kind of sponsorship deal, though they could totally sponsor this podcast. Feel free. I'm doing it for free. But I'm just really excited about this game. I've always been a fan of the entire Bat family. I've always wanted the chance to play as them and to get a video game that seems to be putting a lot of care into it. I know there have been some issues. I know I have expressed certain reservations I've had on the podcast before, but I'm still really hyped about this game, and I'm really excited to share this entire month of episodes with you. Each week, we're going to be covering a different member of the main four that will be involved in this game, so that's Nightwing, Batgirl Barbara Gordon, Red Hood, and Tim Drake Robin. So make sure you tune in for all of that. I'm very excited, and this week, for the very first installment, we're talking Nightwing! Dick Grayson is, in my personal opinion, the most important comic book character who has ever been created. And to be able to dedicate an entire episode on him, as I have done in the past, go check those out in the archives, uh, is always a really good time. So... The format is going to go like this. I'm going to give you the character breakdown, introduce you to who the character is, give you a brief history on their comic book exploits. I'm going to give you a spotlight book that I have been reading and that I want to share with you. And I'm going to give you some additional readings. So that's going to be basically the format for each episode this month. I hope you're really excited. I'm really excited. Uh, We also have, of course, this week's comics countdown where I'll chat you up about all the comics you should be picking up this week. But... That's going to be at the end. For now, let's run on into the main event, the main course, the entree, if you will, as we put the spotlight on the defender of Bloodhaven, the bluebird, the man who flies through the air with the greatest of ease. For the first installment of Geektober Gotham Nights, let's dig into this bat computer and geeksplain Nightwing.
flies through the air with the greatest of ease, that daring young man on the flying trapeze. Dick Grayson has been a character that I've held near and dear to my heart for a very long time. I've said it before, I'll say it again, he's the most important comic book character of all time, and I am really excited to talk about him in the first installment of Geektober Gotham Knights. It feels correct to have him be the first installment of this series, because I have loved Nightwing, Robin, whatever you want to call him, for a very long time. So we'll be diving Diving into his history, as well as talking about a story that I don't think gets enough play. I don't think enough people talk about this, certainly in the circles that I am in. So I'm very excited. Let's dive into this. Starting with the character study, the character file for Nightwing. Richard John Dick Grayson, also known as Robin, Nightwing, Batman, Renegade, Talon, and Agent 37, made his first appearance in Detective Comics number 38 way back in 1940. He is rolling up just past 80 years, and uh, he's looking pretty good. Looking pretty good for 80. Uh, He was created by Bill Finger, Bob Kane, and Jerry Robinson, and his team affiliations include the Bat Family, Batman Incorporated, Haley Circus, the Titans, the Teen Titans, the Outsiders, and the Justice League. Uh, His powers and abilities include peak physical conditioning, world-class acrobat and aerialist, and he is also a master martial artist. His equipment as Nightwing includes a Nomex fire-resistant triple-weave Kevlar-lined costume, his patented Eskrima sticks, and his wingdings, a play on old-school batarangs. Now, Getting into his story, uh, there's a lot to talk about, so I'm going to try to uh, exercise brevity and not... uh go through literally every single piece of history because we would be here for six hours. So let's go ahead and dive into this. First off, his origin. Nightwing, or Dick Grayson, was born as part of uh, Haley's Circus to John and Mary Grayson. And as he grew from a bouncing baby boy into a young boy, a child, he became part of the Flying Grayson's Act. And they toured all over the world, putting on shows until they came to Gotham City and ran afoul of one Tony Zuko. At this point, everyone knows the story. Tony Zuko caused his parents to fall to their deaths since their uh, high-wire act and their trapeze number did not include a safety net. And just like that, Dick Grayson was an orphan. Thankfully, another orphan was sitting in the audience that night, one Bruce Wayne, who took in the young boy and decided to, after a little bit of convincing from Alfred, give him not just a home, but a purpose as Robin. First order of business was bringing Zuko to justice, which they did, bringing him in not just for the murder of Dick's parents, but also for several other petty crimes he had committed over the years. And from there, everything seemed like a party for Dick Grayson. Now, I am going to, as I will with each of these each week, go off of mostly the post-crisis origins for these characters. You'll notice the biggest difference next week, but... I'm going to try to stick with post-crisis since most of pre-crisis stuff has been allocated to like Earth 2 and other multiverse shenanigans. Now, there are some little, you know, 
tomfoolery going on with Origins and stuff, thanks to the New 52 and subsequently Rebirth. But mostly the post-crisis stuff has been intact, which means that even though Dick Grayson was having just an absolute ball in the role of the boy Wonder, he really did not know what he was in for and the party stopped with Two-Face who in a confrontation between the two didn't just shoot him but also beat him severely with a bat nearly breaking one of Robin's legs this was a big wake-up call for Robin in this new now post-injury world where he was going to have to treat this as a job just as much as it was an adventure and this weighed heavily on the kid as he grew into his adolescent and teen years thankfully though he did get a little bit of an injection of fun thanks to teaming up with other sidekicks specifically speedy aqualad wonder girl and kid flash to form the teen titans now this roster would go on through several different iterations before a event that would not just mark the I would say the biggest change in the team, but also the biggest change in Dick Grayson and his superhero career, the Judas Contract. Now, I think most people know what the Judas Contract at this point is. I think it's it's the Montreal screw job of comics where literally everyone talks about it. It's been adapted so many different times that if you even have a semblance of knowledge of these characters, you've heard of this. And with the whole, you know, with the knowledge of the Judas contract that's out there, I'm not going to dive into the specifics. However, for those of you who aren't aware of the Judas contract, it was an event in the Teen Titans comics where the Teen Titans went up against Deathstroke, their very recurring foe, and it involved the manipulation of a Teen Titans member named Terra, who ended up betraying the team and siding with Deathstroke. Now, that is wildly simplified from what the actual story is, but the important bit is during this story, Robin made a great leap into defining himself by himself, stepping out of the shadow of the bat in his role as Robin and becoming Nightwing. Now, it was around this time that he had been struggling with Batman and the pressures that the two of them had been putting on each other. You know, Dick was growing quickly and was quickly approaching college age and wherein, you know, the little little tights wasn't really doing it for him anymore. And during an incident that basically got him kicked off the uh, kicked off the team by Batman, Dick decided to go through the world and really try to define what would be next for him. And ultimately, he settled on the Nightwing role thanks to a conversation with Superman, who told him of the legend of Nightwing and Flamebird, two vigilantes in the city of Kandor, who brought justice after being summarily kicked out of their respective families. Now, Dick Grayson took this to heart, constructed a whole brand new bright blue Nightwing costume, and continued to lead the new Teen Titans into the next era. However, this wasn't the end of the Robin persona, as shortly after Dick abdicated the role, 
A new Robin was found running across the rooftops alongside Batman. This would be Jason Todd. And though Dick and Jason had kind of a tumultuous relationship at first with Jason trying and striving as hard as he could to not just match but exceed the bar that Dick had set and Dick not being super jazzed that Batman immediately found a replacement for him the two did eventually come to respect and even love each other as brothers unfortunately this love would be short-lived because during the death in the family storyline Jason Todd would be brutally beaten to death by the Joker and subsequently exploded in a warehouse that uh, led to a very dark time for the Bat family it drove a further rift in between Dick and Batman because at this point Bruce was done with the sidekick gig and Nightwing didn't really know how to console his old mentor so as Nightwing continued to spend more time with the Titans and continued to go to college Bruce became more and more erratic getting angrier a little more vicious and hitting a little harder than he should have or really uh, was supposed to. However, a solution reared its head as Dick Grayson got a knock on his apartment door and found standing there a young Tim Drake, who had correctly deduced the identities of Bruce Wayne and Dick Grayson as Batman and Robin, respectively, when... As it was revealed, uh, Tim had been a fan of the Flying Graysons for a very long time when he was a small boy, when he was just a baby. And when he saw that Robin was able to pull off moves that only a member of the Flying Grayson could, he connected the dots and bing, bang, bomb, he was here on the doorstep pleading with Dick Grayson to retake the Robin mantle. And though Dick understood that Batman needed some help. He was being real violent. He refused to pick up the Robin role again because he was happy being Nightwing and it would be a huge step back for him. And so even though he refused Tim's initial request, he returned to Gotham to try and help Bruce as Nightwing. And the partnership was not going great until during a confrontation with Two-Face, Robin showed up. Suddenly, Robin wearing Tim or wearing Jason's old costume showed up and helped them dispatch the longtime Batman rogue and revealed himself to be young Tim Drake, who pleaded with Batman to allow him to be Robin because, as he said, Batman needs Robin. And Nightwing, after seeing all this, gave him the endorsement, which led to Tim being officially taken on as Robin and allowed Dick to continue his trajectory out of Gotham City. Now, lots of stuff happened following this, mostly Titans adventures. Um, Dick Grayson would go through a couple different costumes. He almost married Starfire before that went horribly sideways in several different ways. However, the next big step for him would come during the event Nightfall, when Batman was broken down and both metaphorically and physically broken by Bane, a brand new villain just come to town to try and break the bat. And as Bruce tried to recover, he handed over the reins of Batman, not to Dick Grayson, but to Jean-Paul Valley, formerly Azrael of the Order of St. Dumas. And it 
was not a great idea because the programming that uh, Jean-Paul had been subjected to during his stint as Azrael was still present during his career as Batman and really pushed him over the edge into turning the Batman role into as fans affectionately, we'll say, call it as bats, where he basically built himself a big old robo armor and terrorized not just the villains of Gotham, but everyone in Gotham for stepping out of line. It's kind of like, you know, those, uh, those TikToks or whatever, where it's like from the perspective of someone who like litters, they throw like a wrapper on the ground, they look up and there's Batman and he just kicks the shit out of them. That's as bats. That is what Asriel Jean Paul Valley was as Batman. And, it was due, due to this that Tim, who had been really put off by his former friend's behavior, that the call was made to bring in Nightwing. And though Nightwing was not able to ultimately defeat Jean-Paul Valley, it was part of the effort to bring back Bruce Wayne, who ultimately did retake the mantle. However, after defeating Jean-Paul, Bruce knew he still wasn't ready yet to retake the mantle of Batman, so he did what he should have done the first time and gave the mantle, the cowl, the cape, and all of it to Dick Grayson during the Prodigal storyline. Now, this was Dick's first time as Batman, and note that I said first, not only, where he stepped tentatively into the role. He wasn't sure how much he would like it or how long he would be in the role Bruce basically said I need to go train I need to recover you're gonna be Batman until then and so Dick was Batman for a while Tim was his Robin and all was right in the world however eventually Batman did come back and retook the mantle allowing Dick to continue his role as Nightwing now his return to the Nightwing role was not without its traumas and tribulations, because right after he became Nightwing again, the contagion event happened. Oh, it was bad times for a lot of people. We had contagion, we had cataclysm, we had all of the terrible things happen to Gotham City, and Dick was present as Nightwing for all of them. But he, alongside the rest of the Bat family, were able to persevere and open the door for a brand new chapter in his superhero escapades. And that meant relocating to a new city. Now, Nightwing was more or less content to stay in Gotham, I think, until he tracked a, an arms dealer to the neighboring sister city of Bloodhaven, where, after dealing with the threat there, realized this city is just as bad as Gotham, except it doesn't have a Batman to protect it. So, Dick Grayson put down roots, and he became the protector of Bloodhaven, not just by night as Nightwing, but also by day as a member of the Bloodhaven police force. That's right. That's right. I know better than to gloss over the fact that at one point Nightwing was a cop. It's unfortunate, but it worked for him. It was able. He was able to be part of the system while also getting extra tools and whatnot to allow him to do his vigilante job just as effectively, if not more effectively, than his daytime job as a police officer. Now, 
everything seemed to be going Nightwing's way. Everything was coming up Millhouse until the events of Graduation Day, which was a joint event between the Young Justice and Teen Titans books, which saw pretty much the dismantling of the Young Justice team, as well as the death of Donna Troy. Donna Troy, who had been a longtime Titans member, was unfortunately killed during the event, and due to this, Nightwing disbanded the the Titans organization, leaving the remainder of both teams to enact Young Justice, a brand new version of the team that would carry them into the next era. Following this, having a lot of extra time in his schedule now that he wasn't part of the Teen Titans, Nightwing filled his time as part of another team, the Outsiders, which were kind of like a Black Ops Titans group. They had Arsenal, they had members that, you know, were more or less the fringe heroes of the uh, of the DC universe, but it was a fun time. Nightwing and the Outsiders was a great little team, and he wouldn't be able to spend as much time as he wanted to because following the foundation of this Outsiders group, War Games happened, which brought him back to Gotham alongside the entire rest of the Bat family to try and stop the ridiculous gang war that was taking over the city and resulted in the death of Stephanie Brown. Spoiler, and for a short amount of time, Robin. Now, this led into a fairly tumultuous time for Dick Grayson and the Batman family, uh, because shortly after this, a new player joined the scene. This one sporting a noticeable and distinct red helmet. The Red Hood took control of the Gotham underground and waged war on Black Mask as well as any other villains in the city that were connected to organized crime. Eventually it was revealed that this Red Hood character was a revived Jason Todd who after realizing that he had not been avenged declared war on not just the Joker but also on Batman and his entire Bat family. Following this, uh, Dick Grayson wanted to, I guess, get more on the main stage of the DC Universe. And so, with the growing threat of the Secret Society of Supervillains, Dick Grayson went undercover as the Renegade. The Renegade! I feel like there's got to be, like, a uh, a guitar riff. It's like, the Renegade! Uh, it was short-lived, and he was eventually ousted from the uh, from the secret society. However, he was able to get some intel that eventually did help the heroes in the upcoming threat. What upcoming threat was that? Infinite Crisis, of course, where he was almost killed, if not for a late-game intervention, and would have been killed uh, if Dan DiDio had anything to say about it. However... Thankfully, at the final moment when Nightwing was about to be killed by Superboy Prime, Connor Kent saved his life and sacrificed himself to defeat the uh, corrupted Superboy, if only for a moment. Nightwing thankfully was able to survive through this and decided to go with Batman and Tim on this year-long voyage around the world where they revisited all of the places that Batman had gone to train initially and 
it was fun. It was nice. They took a little tour through Batman's past and got back just in time for the one year later event, where upon returning to his stomping grounds, found that there were rumors, rumors that Nightwing hadn't left. Nightwing had been around and Nightwing was getting way brutal and a and had a big old change of persona. And not only that, he was causing chaos in one New York City. So Dick Grayson made the trek to New York City to find this fake Nightwing and found who else but Jason Todd wielding a knife and being Nightwing, his own version. The two battled for a bit before uniting to take out one of the uh, bigger crime bosses in the city. And as Red Hood decided to abandon the role and give it back to Nightwing, Dick Grayson decided, look, I've done a lot of good in Bloodhaven. Maybe I should put some time into New York City. And so he decided to become the curator for a museum in New York City and put down roots and became the defender of the Big Apple. Now, he spent some time there uh, getting a love interest, Deb, and also, you know, making some headway in fighting crime in New York City. You know, Jace Fox is now the uh, protector of New York City, but Dick Grayson laid the groundwork for him. However, everything would change when the Batman R.I.P. event took place, and Batman was seemingly killed due to the machinations of Dr. Hurt and the Black Glove. Now, Nightwing was able to get through this event however he was captured at one point and subjected to lots and lots of psychological torture in Arkham Asylum however he was eventually rescued and decided to continue leading the Bat family in Bruce's absence uh Bruce had survived the Batman R.I.P. event however in the just right too quick coming up final crisis that happened literally the day after uh, Bruce was seemingly killed by Darkseid as we would find out that would not be the case but we're not there yet so now that there was no Batman the Bat fam needed a leader and so Dick Grayson made one more great leap and left his home in New York City to return to Gotham and take up the mantle of the Batman though it wasn't without a battle for that very cowl. Uh, you see what I did there with the battle for the cowl? Uh, this battle for the cowl event featured a gun-toting Batman terrorizing Gotham. And of course, I think you know at this point who it was. Jason Todd, because he has a pattern. The two of them dueled all over Gotham City before Dick Grayson eventually got the upper hand and claimed the role of Batman for himself. And not just the role of Batman, but he got a spiffy new Robin, too. Damian Wayne, who had been introduced during this time as the son of Batman and Talia al Ghul. So Damian was not just the son of Batman, he was also the grandson of the demon. So lots weighing on him. Damian eventually left the League of Assassins and joined up with Dick Grayson to be his Robin, wanting to eventually succeed him and take his rightful place as Batman. Which brings us to the best period of Batman history, which is Batman and Robin Reborn. This is my favorite Batman run. I did a full episode on the initial Batman and Robin Reborn story uh 
It was about two months ago now. It was my birthday, uh, my birthday episode for this year, celebrating not just uh, my birthday, but also the fact that I was turning 30. So if you want my full thoughts on the Batman and Robin Reborn story, you can go back in the archives and check that out. However, this story set a new status quo with a smiling Batman and a grimacing Robin, and the two of them seemed to work pretty well, not gonna lie. There was some, you know, it was bumpy and not everything was smooth sailing all the time, but the two of them worked well and eventually developed a brotherly bond. However, that brotherly bond would be tested by the return of the Red Hood and a brand new heroic persona pledging to give violence and crime the justice it deserves becoming a lethal protector alongside his sidekick scarlet and the two of them clashed with batman and robin until the intervention of a villainous mercenary called flamingo now their clashes would continue throughout dick's tenure as batman however it would uh, take a detour as Dick Grayson and the rest of the Bat fam encountered the Blackest Night event. This would eventually lead to Dick Grayson trying to revive Bruce Wayne using the Lazarus Pit. However, what they discovered was that this body that had been recovered in the aftermath of Final Crisis was not, in fact, Bruce Wayne, and that there might be some shenanigans going on. Following this event, a brand new Justice League was formed by Donna Troy and Hal Jordan, and Dick was brought in to lead it. So Dick Grayson joined the likes of Donna Troy, Hal Jordan, The Atom, Kong Gorilla, yes, that's a real character, Cyborg, Dr. Light, Green Arrow, The Guardian, Starfire, and Monel, my guy as the brand new Justice League. And I love this version of the Justice League. It's the legacy version. It's the, I mean, more or less, it's what's going on in Dark Crisis right now. It's a bunch of legacy characters and also Hal Jordan. But (laughs) um, it was a great story. I really enjoyed this roster of Justice League, and I wish it had stuck around for a, a long time. However, it was not meant to be because the return of Bruce Wayne was fast approaching as Bruce made his way through time to return to the role of Batman. First, as the leader of Batman Incorporated and a worldwide Batman, and then later on as Gotham's protector once again. Before Dick Grayson handed back the mantle of Gotham's Batman, however, he had two of his best stories in The Black Mirror as well as The Gates of Gotham. I did an episode on The Black Mirror a while back, but I haven't done an episode on The Gates of Gotham yet, and if you're interested in that, let me know. I really like that story and would love to cover it on the podcast. This meant that Dick Grayson was no longer Batman and was free to return to the role of Nightwing, which brought us right up to the New 52. Now, the New 52 gave us some reboots, messed with some people's uh, origins as well as their careers, and we're to believe that everything that I just told you about took place within the last five years. There's no way. There's just no way. There's no way. And so we are going to ignore the changes made to Dick's backstory in the New 52 with one large exception, which brings us to the Court of Owls. Court of Owls being this very shady organization built 
into the foundation of Gotham City and also the villains of the upcoming Gotham Knights game. So weird. Weird how that synergy happened. But what the big revelation was for Dick is that he was meant to be part of the Court of Owls, which is discovered when Bruce Wayne encounters a Talon, the undead soldiers utilized by the court to enact their will. And it's discovered that Dick wasn't just meant to be part of the court. He was meant to be part of it through Haley's Circus, his safe space, his home. It was discovered that Haley's Circus was actually a breeding ground for Talons, and that when a young person was shown to have a gift for acrobatics or physical prowess, they would be shipped off to the Court of Owls and turned into a Talon. Dick Grayson was meant to be a Talon. Unfortunately, the untimely deaths of his parents and Bruce Wayne swooping in to snatch him up changed those plans, thankfully for Dick. He encountered his, I, want, I think it's his great uncle, uh, William Hobb, or Cobb, I think it's Cobb. William Cobb. I've been watching too much Dimension 20. Uh, William Cobb, who was a Talon, and the two of them clashed with Cobb, basically saying, you are the gray son of Gotham, and you will be part of the court. Now, following this event, the death of the family storyline happened, where Dick encountered the Joker and also had to deal with the ramifications of killer clowns attacking his circus that uh, Dick had taken control of after the events of the Night of the Owls. Following this event, the circus disbanded, all of the acts going their separate ways because they couldn't trust Dick Grayson to keep them safe. And then, and then, Dick Grayson was not able to really process the ending of his circus dreams because he was called in by Batman Incorporated during their war with Leviathan. And during the very short-lived reunion of Dick with his former Robin, Damian Wayne, Damian was killed by the heretic. Another twisted clone of Damian who was subsequently murdered by Talia. The death of Damien rocked everyone, though hit Dick the hardest because the two of them were brothers. Before Damien's death, he even told Dick Grayson, we were the best. Don't let anyone ever tell you different. And so after this, after the death of Damien, Dick had to get away from Gotham. He couldn't head back to his circus home. He couldn't have a home in Gotham because of everything going on. So he picked everything up and moved to Chicago. Now Chicago, the Chicago arc for Dick Grayson, I really wish had gotten more time because he had just moved there. And in Chicago, there was a very strict no masks policy. So Dick Grayson had to not only protect the city, but also protect himself from law enforcement. All of this, you know, future state stuff and the magistrate all got started has its roots in the Chicago storyline in the new 52 of Nightwing. Now, unfortunately, Nightwing didn't get much time to process or get much time at all to enjoy his time in Chicago. He was the premier hero there. He had stricken up a relationship with Sonia Zuko, the daughter of the man who killed his parents. And everything, again, seemed to be going his way until Forever Evil, when he was captured by the crime syndicate, unmasked on 
basically live stream and was seemingly killed by a machine that the crime syndicate and specifically Owlman had constructed. However, accounts of his death were wildly exaggerated because thanks to the timely intervention of Lex Luthor of all people, Dick Grayson was able to survive this ordeal. And following the events of Forever Evil, Batman convinced him to let the world think that Dick Grayson was dead so that he could infiltrate Spiral, a espionage institution that had been essentially declaring war on superheroes and everyone who they loved. This story was told in the pages of Grayson by Tom King and Mikkel Janine, and if you have not read this book, do yourself a favor. Go check it out. It's wonderful. However, his time as Agent 37 in the Spiral organization was not meant to go on forever, and it wasn't meant to be eternal because the events of batman and robin eternal took place where nightwing realized how broken the city is and after having one more gigantic run-in with the court of owls and its parent company the parliament of owls dick grayson realized that his time as Agent of Spiral was coming to an end. And thankfully, Spiral also had a debt to pay to Dick Grayson, and the members that were loyal to him used their satellites to wipe the slate clean, clearing the identity of Dick Grayson and Nightwing once more. Following this, the events of Titans Hunt took place, where the original Titans of the New 52 were reunited, and they realized that they had forgotten someone. Someone was missing. There was another Titan that, for some reason, none of them could remember. Which brings us to Rebirth, and Dick being back in blue as Nightwing. Thankfully, he wasn't the only return to the DC Universe. The biggest one was Wally West. Originally Kid Flash, then The Flash, and then... Everything, every which way, Wally West made his return from the Speed Force after being locked away, and the Titans were back. Now, the Titans book started really strong and then just kind of petered out, which is unfortunate, but it was really cool to see the original Titans back together again, especially having Dick and Wally back together because they're best friends, and they deserve the world, both of them, both individually and together. However... He wasn't just doing team books. He also had his own solo title where he encountered Raptor, who was a character from his past, unbeknownst to him, a former member of Haley Circus who was in love with his mother and was committed to taking Nightwing under his wing and turning him into the assassin that he always wanted. The two clashed and eventually parted ways, and Nightwing found himself in a familiar location in Bloodhaven. Now, again, with the shenanigans in the New 52, this was Nightwing's first time coming to Bloodhaven. However, something felt awfully familiar about this city, and Nightwing couldn't really put his finger on it. Thankfully, he had other things to occupy his time, namely the Runoffs, a group of Z-list criminals who were trying to make something of their lives they ran a support group getting out of the criminal life and it was all run by a girl named sean sung 
and I love Sean and Dick together. It is a wonderful relationship that I wish they had gotten more time with. However, it was not meant to be the star-crossed lovers and their respective uh, alignments in the superhero and villain conflicts would eventually pull them away. And that wasn't the worst thing to happen to Dick Grayson. No, no, no. That would be a man by the name of K.G. Beast, who on one cold November night shot Dick Grayson in the head, causing him to go into a coma. When he awoke, he had amnesia, had no idea who he was, and took on the much-loved persona of Rick Grayson. Rick Grayson uh, was a tough pill to swallow for a lot of people, myself included, though there were some cool things. We got the uh, Nightwing crew um, with Detective Sapienza and his band of misfits all wearing different versions of the Nightwing costume. Uh, The Court of Owls was ultimately revealed to be behind the Rick Grayson nonsense, having taken his memories into a little memory crystal that eventually they were able to... uh, manipulate Rick Grayson with and turn him into a Talon for the court, so he served some time as a Talon. However, the crystal was later stolen by the Joker and during the Joker War event used to brainwash Dick Grayson, or I guess Rick Grayson, once again to turn him into Joker's sidekick. Thankfully, though, the amnesia was cured with the acquisition of the crystal from the Joker and it was broken open by his love interest at the time B who decided to give him back all of his memories erasing Rick Grayson and bringing back Dick Grayson which brings us to the modern day and the much uh, publicized, whether it's for better or for worse, Tom Taylor and Bruno Redondo run of Nightwing, a.k.a. Leaping into the Light. And that is where we're going to cut off the character file here, uh, because I think you should go read that book. I love the Nightwing book. I've been talking about it for years at this point, and I definitely believe that Nightwing is in a great spot in the larger DC pantheon. Now, that's not the book I'm focusing on this week, though. The book that I wanted to put a quick spotlight on is The Great Leap from 2008, written by Peter Tomasi with art by Don Kramer, Rags Morales, and Doug Monkey. This was the post-Batman R.I.P. pre-Battle for the Cow story that wrapped up Dick's time in New York. And the reason that I wanted to spotlight this was because I think thematically it makes sense. Batman is gone, Dick is trying to figure out his place in the world, and has decided to return to Gotham to lead the Bat family. A.K.A. what seems to be his plotline for Gotham Knights. So I also really, I hadn't read this in years, and I remember feeling bittersweet about it because this was the end of the Nightwing book as he made the transition into Batman later that year. And I 
coming back to this, didn't know how I was going to enjoy it, but oh man, is it a good story. Uh, It features Dick Grayson being contacted by Harvey Dent, who wants him to protect one of Harvey Dent's old flames in New York City, a former district attorney who is under witness protection because of the info that she has as an expert witness for a big-time mob trial. And as we come to find out... uh, Harvey Dent is trying to protect Nightwing from Two-Face. It's a wonderful story that deals with not just Nightwing facing the trauma that he had with Two-Face from his childhood as Robin, but also figuring out who he wants to be in this next step of his life. There's also a great little one-issue story where he uh, combats Ra's al Ghul. Now that Batman is gone, Raish needs a new arch nemesis. Spoiler alert, it's not Nightwing, but it is a great little one-off story that helps to push Nightwing into this new status quo. It's a great story. I really, really dig it. The art is fantastic. Rags Morales, who I think most people... DC-wise would know from doing the Grant Morrison action comics run in the New 52 was just absolutely stellar here. Uh, Don Craner, for his credit, also was fantastic, and we had, a, I think, one issue where Doug Monkey took the reins, and Doug Monkey's incredible. But this story really puts Dick Grayson forward and really positions him as that leader of the Bat family. There's a moment where he is settling into Wayne Manor for movie night with Alfred and Tim. And it's bittersweet because there is an empty chair or an empty couch, I guess, in the midst of them. But it's really nice to know that even when Bruce is gone, that Dick Grayson will always be there. So I really enjoy it. I think it's a wonderful story. It's difficult. It's not collected on uh, Comixology, but you can pick up the individual issues. I believe it's Nightwing 147 through 153 of the original Nightwing run, which ran all the way from, I believe, like 97, 98 until 2008. And so I I think it's a wonderful story. I think it it really carries the spirit of what Nightwing is going to be bringing into this game. And I really do think you should give it a read before that game comes out. But if you want some additional reading, some extra stories to get you uh, through this month to Gotham Knights while spending time with our boy in blue, uh, Nightwing Year One is a great, great story that details Dick Grayson's transition from Robin to Nightwing. I absolutely love it. Um, I do. Th- I believe I did an episode on this, uh, so go check that out. Uh, a Night in Bloodhaven is the story that brings Nightwing to the city of Bloodhaven originally, pre-New 52. And it's a great character study on him realizing his potential, not just as another member of the Bat family, but as a hero all on his own. Battle for the Cowl, I think, is a great story for right now, uh, right prior to the Gotham Knights game, because it's everybody trying to figure out what Gotham is going to look like post-Batman. And also features literally everybody dressing up as Batman except Nightwing, which makes him, of course, the only person fit to take the role. Uh, Nightwing Rebirth. The Rebirth run, I thought, was criminally underrated. Uh, This brought in 
all of the Court of Owls connections, Raptor, Talon, the Nightwing Must Die story, which I think is incredible, and also brought him back to Bloodhaven. So I love this run. I think it's fantastic. It did end with the Rick Grayson storyline, but thankfully my final additional reading is Leaping Into the Light, the current Tom Taylor, Bruno Redondo run. It's amazing. People can talk shit all they want, but it is a wonderful book, gorgeous art, great writing, and, of course, Nightwing's back in Bloodhaven, this time with Bitewing, as well as, of course, Barbara Gordon, furthering and rekindling that romance. It's, I mean, I've said before, I've said, I think several times before, I'm a uh, Nightwing Starfire guy, but... I love the two of them together when they are written by Tom Taylor. So I think it's a wonderful, wonderful story. And I do think alongside the other books that I've named, you should give them a read if you're itching to read some Nightwing. Because they illustrate the core principle and the thesis statement for Nightwing as a character. No matter how insurmountable the odds, no matter how big the challenge seems to be, all it takes is one great leap welcome back to this week's comics countdown this is the segment of our show where i'll chat you up about all the comics you should be picking up this week whether it's at your local comic book shop a comiXology or however you get your comics these are the ones i think you should definitely take a look at but before we get into this week's books we got to take a look back at last week's books with the geeks playing pick of the week of last week and for me it was very tough but ultimately i went with superman space age number two written by mark russell with art by mike and laura allred uh this book's lap it drives it drives all night i love what they're doing with this uh spider-man life story treatment for superman uh just condensed it to just a few decades uh last issue was the 60s this issue is the 70s and we are vastly and quickly approaching crisis on infinite earths in the 80s so i absolutely love this book i love that it's tackling superman from a different uh angle than we're used to in most modern superhero and superman comics so pick this book up go pick up the first issue you will not be disappointed but that brings us to this week this week we've got one two three four Five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten books for you to check out. So let's go ahead and dive in with kicking things off with a very, uh, very exciting book. It's Miracle Man number zero. This is written by Neil Gaiman, Jason Aaron, Mike Carey, Ty Templeton, and Peach Momoko, with art also by Ty Templeton and Peach Momoko, as well as Laniel Francis Yu, Paul Davidson, and Mark Buckingham. And uh, this is kicking off the Miracle Man 2020 festivities. Miracle Man has been uh, teased since Timeless last year that he is coming to the Marvel Universe and things are going to be uh, things are going to be very interesting when he arrives on the scene especially with after everything else that's been going on. But this seems like it's basically just a celebratory issue for Miracle Man also to introduce audiences to the character if they haven't been familiar with him or haven't read the original Miracle Man series. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis. 40 years ago, Miracle Man's modern era began and changed the world of comics as we know it. 
Now, on the cusp of a new era of Miracle Man, where you celebrate all things Kimota with a who's who of the best talent in the industry. Plus, Neil Gaiman and Mark Buckingham set up this issue and their return to Miracle Man The Silver Age. So yeah, pretty much tells you all you need to know. Uh, it's going to be celebrating the character as well as getting you ready for the new Miracle Man series that will be hitting shelves later this year. Next up, we have Jane Foster and the Mighty Thor number five. This is written by Tarun Grunbeck with art by Michael Dowling. I believe this is the last issue. Maybe I thought last issue was the last issue. So uh, I believe this is the last issue, though. Uh, we've got. A, a, a lot going on in this book uh, an invasion a betrayal and we've got one maybe two thors ready to uh kick off this climactic battle so let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis everything comes to a head in this brilliant and brutal conclusion to torun grunbeck and michael dowling's jane foster epic well there you go the puppet master who has been leading all of Asgard's enemies from the shadows will be revealed, as will the dark secrets of Runa's past. With Asgard torn asunder, will Jane and Thor arrive in time to save the Golden Realm from certain destruction? Yeah, so they actually revealed who the big bad is at the end of last issue. If you haven't read it, I won't spoil it for you, but it's interesting. It's a very interesting choice and not one that I would have immediately thought of. So I'm excited. Should be a fine conclusion to a great little miniseries. Speaking of a great little miniseries, next up we've got Ant-Man number four. This is written by Al Ewing with art by Tom Riley. This Ant-Man series has been fantastic. Uh, the writing's been great. The art by Tom Riley is chef's kiss. And I've just really been enjoying this look through the history of Ant-Man. I think the way that they did it was incredibly smart, uh, dealing with time travel, plucking the different Ant-Men from their respective eras to join in this climactic battle against, well, you'll see. Uh, let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis. Who is the mysterious Ant-Man of the future who the past Ant-Men keep bumping into? Find out here as the Ant-Man of 2549 recruits Hank Pym, Eric O'Grady, and Scott Lang to take on a godlike Ultron. Don't miss this epic anniversary finale as the Ant-Man of past, present, and future come together to save the world. Yep, tells you right there, it's Ant-Man vs. Ultron, a tale as old as time. I'm excited to learn more about this new Ant-Man and to figure out what's been going on with him, because, I mean, the suit's slick, he's really cool, and I'm hoping he kind of sticks around past this Ant-Man uh, miniseries. Next up, we have Captain America, Sentinel of Liberty, number five. This is written by Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly with art by Carmen Carnero. And I've been loving this book. The political thriller conspiracy aspects of it I think is really, really cool. Involving Steve and Bucky and this outer circle and all the uh, machinations of them basically having their hands in everything Cap has done throughout his entire career as a super soldier, I've really, really been enjoying this. And I think it's a really great time to be a Captain America fan because the Captain America books are so freaking strong right now. Uh, this is definitely a book to be picking up, especially if you're a fan of the character. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis. 
The Outer Circle's most recent defector leads Steve Rogers and Bucky Barnes to the Outer Circle's headquarters, and to the answers Steve seeks about the origins of his shield. But Bucky already has his answers and is looking for solutions. Will decades of friendship be enough to outmaneuver an enemy who calls himself the Revolution? The world of Captain America is rocked in this can't-miss issue that will have ramifications for years to come. So it's promising some big stuff. We'll see what happens. Can't wait to read this. Next up, we have Judgment Day X-Men number one. This is written by Kieran Gillen with art by Francesco Mobili. And I gotta say, the uh, Judgment Day Avengers book was very good last week, so I'm excited to have the the scope and the spotlight turn towards the X-Men in this book. Let's go ahead and dive in. The second story... <laughs> you gotta stop it with the, se- the story-critical one-shots, guys. You're, you're making it seem like none of the other tie-ins matter. You, you can't... Ah! You can't do this. Um, anyway, here we go. It wasn't her. It wasn't her. It wasn't her. Yet, I am fire and life incarnate now and forever. Which part of now and forever is confusing to you? As one world burns, can Jean Grey justify her existence after burning another? Ooh, I know Connor Goldsmith's going to be real excited by this. Um, The whole Jean Grey, Phoenix, were they separate? Was it Jean the whole time? Debate has been raging for decades at this point. And it looks like Karen Gillan is looking to conclusively make the stance known. So I'm very excited. Like I said, the last issue, the uh, Judgment Day Avengers one-shot, was a great introspection on Tony. And surprisingly, as we talked about last week, surprisingly, Tony got the thumbs up. I was shocked by that. Absolutely shocked. And as a quick aside as well, Spidey also got the thumbs up, which I told you he would. I told you he would. But I'm interested to see if Jean Grey... Jean Grey's got to get a thumbs down, right? And not just because she has burned worlds, but... I don't know. I don't know. They also gave the thumbs up to uh, to Scott, so... But that was... I mean, it's one of the best Cyclops moments ever, right? So we'll see. We'll see. We're hoping for a thumbs up, but I'm pretty sure it's going to be a thumbs down. Next up, we have Batman number 128. This is written by Chip Zdarsky with art by Leonardo Romero and George Jimenez. And, uh... It looks like we are heading into some choppy waters. Uh, We've got not just part four of the main story, but also the part one of a brand new tie-in story. So very interested. Uh, This is going to be a very, very fun one to read. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis. Failsafe part four slash Zeranar part year one. Failsafe has taken his family, his allies, and now his city. Broken and beaten, Batman retreats to the last place on Earth he can hide, but nothing can truly hide from Failsafe. In the backup, Batman has prepared his mind for anything, or so he thought. We go back to his early days in a chilling case that led to Failsafe. So we're getting the origin as the backup, as well as the main story set in the present. I think that's incredibly smart. I really, really dig that. And I love this cover, too. This cover featuring Tim and Bruce in a burning house. Um, I'm loving it. 
I really, really have been enjoying this book. The Failsafe Saga has been fantastic. Next up, we have a brand new number one. This is Spider-Man number one. This is written by Dan Slott with art by Mark Bagley. If you have not been listening to the Geek Explained Book Club, last week we covered the death of Spider-Man, which Mark Bagley had a heavy hand in. So it's exciting. It feels correct to bring the... uh, bring the artist from that critically acclaimed book over to the main line and have him kick off a brand new era of the character. I recognize that the death of Spider-Man happened years ago, but for me, reading it for the first time, it was very, very nice. So I'm excited to read this. They have uh, just a heckin' lot of these uh, variant covers. I am scrolling through them right now i kind of i do like the mary jane cover i like the love interests cover um the the which one is this the ramos variant looks fantastic so i'm gonna keep my eyes out but uh yeah let's go ahead and dive into this the end of the spider-verse is here morloon is back and he is not alone Allied with one of the most powerful beings known to the Spider-Verse, the scariest Spider-Villain of all time is making his biggest play, and no spider is safe. Especially not the chosen spider himself, Peter Parker. With Peter working for Norman Osborn and using a glider, does he have it coming? Spidey's 60th anniversary is no joke, as two of the most legendary Spider-Creators are working together on Spidey for the first time, and you know it's going to be one for the record books. Yep. Yeah. Very excited about this. Dan Slott has been uh, getting, I think, a goodwill renaissance recent in recent years for his uh, his Spider-Man run, which is hilarious because if comic book fans are one thing, it is fickle. Uh, speaking from experience as a comic book fan, but. I'm excited for this. Uh, teaming up Dan Slott and Mark Bagley, two creators who love Spider-Man to death, I think is really, really great. Uh, the Death of Spider-Verse is really exciting as well. We're going to see how they're going to send off the Spider-Verse era, uh, hopefully in style, but we'll just have to see. Next up, we have Dark Crisis on Infinite Earths, number five. This is written by Joshua Williamson with art by Daniel Sampier. And uh, we are very quickly approaching the uh, home stretch for Dark Crisis. Uh, this is issue five of seven, and uh, we've only got two more issues plus a few tie-ins. I'm looking at this cover, right? And I'm like, okay, so we can just keep some of these aesthetic choices for Super for these characters, right? It's showing off the Justice League that have been stuck in their worlds without a Justice League. And I love the look of Superman! He looks like Earth 2 Superman, which I think is the best look with the great temples, the Earth 2 logo. I think it just makes sense. It makes sense. We're doing that whole Return of Kal-El uh, stuff that is really cool, but also the timelines are whacked out, so we don't really know what's going on here. Uh, I, I'm not sure exactly what's going to happen here, but I'm very excited. This should be a great, great installment. Let's go ahead and dive into this. Chapter 5, Together. War at the Hall of Justice. After the shocking events of the last issue, Pariah has won. 
and now his dark army is poised for the invasion of our world. It's up to the Titans to rally the remaining heroes to defeat Deathstroke's ever-growing forces and avert total destruction. An epic war starts on the steps of the Hall of Justice, and only a miracle could help the heroes now. But all hope is not lost, as the worlds without a Justice League have begun to loosen their grip. But can the heroes return to Earth if it means one member of the Justice League could be lost forever? That's interesting. Who are we going to lose? Who are we going to lose? I don't know, but I am very interested to see what happens here. Uh, Dark Crisis has been good. Dark Crisis has been very good. I've, you know, I've talked about, you know, the faults with it and everything, but overall, I've been really enjoying it. So I'm excited to pick this next issue up. Next up here, we have X-Men Red number seven. This is written by Al Ewing with art by Matabek Musabekov. I am so sorry if I pronounced that incorrectly. Um, but this is another uh, Judgment Day tie-in. Apparently not a story-critical one. I'm, I'm going to let it go. I'm going to let it go. I have to let it go. Uh, X-Men Red has been fantastic, and we've all been waiting to see what happens next with the Hour of Magneto and all of the uh, all of the remaining Iraqi uh, citizens going after those who have wronged them. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis. Final Judgment for the Red Planet As the dust settles and the costs are counted, change is coming to Arako, starting at the top. After the catastrophic war with the Eternals, the Great Ring declares that Iska the Unbeaten is no longer fit for the seat of victory. But Iska's power is never to lose. If she won't step down, is there anyone on Arako who can make her? I, again, have the fleeting feeling that Iska's power is not to be unbeaten. It's the power of betrayal. But I am very interested by the premise of this uh, cover. Of course, Storm is going after Iska. And I don't care who you are, how unbeatable you seem. Aurora Monroe, the queen regent of Arako, the, uh, the representative of the System of Soul, is going to put you in the ground. So I am excited for this SmackDown. Should be incredible. But the big book of the week, the book I think you should absolutely be picking up, is Gotham City Year One. Number one. This is written by Tom King with art by Phil Hester, and I have been so excited for this book. I am stoked. I am just over the moon. Since this was announced, I have been chomping at the bit to get in on this book, and now it is finally here, and we are still waiting for Danger Street. But that's not important because we've got Gotham City Year One. This is, you know what, let's just dive into the synopsis and then we'll talk about it. Chapter 1 There once was a shining city on the water, a home for families, hope, and prosperity. It was Gotham, and it was glorious. The story of its fall from grace, the legend that would birth the bat, has remained untold for 80 years. That's about to change. Superstar creators Tom King and Phil Hester team up for the first time to tell the definitive origin of Gotham City.
how it became the cesspool of violence and corruption it is today, and how it harbored and then unleashed the sin that led to the rise of the Dark Knight. Two generations before Batman, private investigator Slam Bradley gets tangled in the kidnapping of the century as the infant Wayne heir disappears in the night. And so begins a brutal, hard-boiled epic tale of a man living on the edge and a city about to burn. Yes! Yes! I'm so excited about this! Uh, First off, Slam Bradley, one of the unsung heroes of DC Comics, and just of comics in general. Jumping off the page, Slam Bradley is one of the best, best characters that ever was in a detective comic book. And you know what? There was a long time where I was like, no one should touch Slam Bradley except Darwin Cook. But I do believe that... Tom King and Phil Hester have what it takes to do this character justice. And it's a mystery detective noir. So I'm all in on this. This is has been one of my most anticipated books, and I cannot wait to read this. This is going to be incredible. But that is going to do it for this week's Comics Countdown. To recap these 10 books, we've got Miracle Man number zero. Can you hear that? Our neighbor's dog is also very excited for Gotham City Year One. Uh, lot, lots of feelings. I, I'm very, I'm not happy with that dog. I was trying to do an audition last night, and that dog would not leave me alone. So, um, anyway, to recap, we've got Miracle Man number zero, Jane Foster and the Mighty Thor number five, Ant Man number four, Captain America Sentinel of Liberty number five, Judgment Day X Men number one. Batman 128, Spider-Man number 1, Dark Crisis on Infinite Earths number 5, X-Men Red number 7, and Gotham City Year 1 number 1. Some series are ending, some are beginning. This is a big week for comics and I think the correct way to kick off October. And that is going to bring us to the wrap-up. If this is your first time joining us on the Geeksplain podcast and you like what I do here, feel free to subscribe to the podcast on the podcast platform of your choice and give us a rating and review. We drop new episodes every single Wednesday and honestly, ratings, reviews, and especially subscriptions really does help me out and really helps the podcast out in this weird podcasting algorithm space, raises up our stock and gets us out and into the orbit of listeners just like you. And if you give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, whatever you want to call it, I will read your review here live on the podcast. You can write literally anything you want. I will be forced to read it out as long as you give me that five stars. The sky's the limit. And you'll be able to join the likes of our Red 13, including Seafire ND, Joshua Pancel Pixels, Matt Draper, Burrito Man 88, Doug from For Every Kind of Geek, Don Swanson, That Guy Brian, Mouth Dork, Dallas Meeks, Amazing Spider Fan, Alok and AZ, Sass, and Jedi Jesse 20. I want to say a huge thank you to these fine folks for their reviews, and I cannot wait to hear yours. If you want to be part of the Geeksplained mailbag, send your emails to geeksplained at gmail.com. Put mailbag in the subject header, and I will read it here on the show. If you want to keep up to date with the podcast, follow along with announcements, uh, participate in polls that decide future episodes, or maybe you just want to shoot the shit with me on the latest geeky news. We've got a lot of it incoming. Uh, Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at geeksplainedpod. That's at geeksplainedpod. We've got some real cool stuff cooking real soon so you're going to want to make sure you are uh, following us on there we are almost as I am recording this we are almost to 350 followers on 
Twitter, which uh, is really exciting. We're four away as I'm recording this right now. So uh, four of you just want to give us a follow. We could hit 350, and that would be a wonderful Halloween present for moi. So thank you so much for those of you who are already doing that. Again, at Pod on Instagram and Twitter. And... If you are not already aware, every single Friday is the Geeksplain Book Club, where I, alongside my amazing friends, Malcolm Russell Nelson and Jacob Brown, are going through every single issue of every single volume of Ultimate Spider-Man. Last week, we covered the death of Ultimate Spider-Man, and this Friday, we are going going to be covering Ultimate Comics Spider-Man Fallout. This is going to be the six-issue series where we see how the Spider-Man death has rocked the Ultimate Universe. So make sure you stay tuned for that, and also make sure you stay tuned for uh, what we're going to be doing next on the Explained Book Club this Friday. Be there or be square, not a circle, Reyes. Uh, but that is going to be it for this week. So thank you very much for listening. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the first installment of Geektober Gotham Nights. Next week, we're going to be uh, going a little bit off the rails and talking about the black sheep of the Bat family. It's the Red Hood himself, Jason Todd. So tune in for that next week. Same geek time, same geek channel. But for now, for the Geek Explained podcast, I have been Eric Azana. Thank you so much for listening. Stay safe, and we will see you next time.